Well, as they're setting up, are there any questions from the last seminar or any questions that you might have uh, that you'd like me to address first? Don't be shy. <laughs> sure, what was the question? Someone had a question over here? No, I didn't have a question. I said, you guys can ask me a question. I didn't get a chance to do any question and answer, which I normally like to do during the break. Yes? Okay, personal question. So the question is, how do you relate to money, right? And here's a very simple answer to that question. Jesus had two men that encountered him, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Now, who was rich? They were both, they were both rich, right? Zacchaeus was a tax getter. He was the, the chief, right, of all of them. So they were both rich. Now, interestingly enough, what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler that he had to do to be saved? Sell everything you have and what? Give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Now Zacchaeus in Luke 19 says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have robbed anyone by false accusation, I restore to him what? Fourfold. Now, did Jesus say, you know what, Zacchaeus, you've got to sell everything? Did Jesus say that? Why not? Because it wasn't his issue and that Jesus already had what? The heart. With the rich young ruler, he knew that unless he surrendered at all, even to keep back little would have destroyed his soul. We're told in Desire of Ages that Jesus presented the only requirements that would save his soul. The only requirements that would save his soul. And now with Zacchaeus, right? Jesus knew that he already had Zacchaeus' heart. So he didn't have to surrender all of it. So as long as God has your heart, you could still be a wealthy man, right? Abraham was wealthy. You know, Solomon was wealthy. David was wealthy. Zacchaeus was still wealthy probably after he gave away half, right? Half of a lot is probably still a lot. Right? But the thing is, who has your heart? What are you using your money for? Right? I think I told you guys already, I don't work just for the sake of making a bunch of money because I only work eight to ten days a month. Right? Eight-hour shifts. And the reason I do that is I dedicate a week to do things just like this, to go to Zambia and do medical mission work, to do a series of health lectures in Sacramento, to do a week of prayer at Milo Academy. Those are just some of the things that I have coming up. And that is because our lives are not just our jobs, right? They're also our spouse and our ministry. And that's what we'll get started today. Now, I want to say, first of all, this is actually my favorite of the three topics. Because I have an entire seminar on relationships that's actually six hours and if you want all the quotes and all the stuff, the studies, the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy text, just email me at doctim at gmail, D-O-C-T-I-M, at gmail. And I'll send you everything because this is just a one hour. And what I'll be focusing in on 
is the things that we brought up in the last seminar, they apply to this as well. But the one thing I want to zero in on is when it is dangerous to pray about it. Ooh. When should you not pray about it? Is there a time? Yes, there is, and we'll find out. Here's a, kind of a, a thought process of where advice can harm you. Now, we talked about advice about a job. This is about a spouse. Many people are going to give you advice. And for myself, I can tell you up front, I usually get about three people saying, oh, you're single, Tim? This, perf this is the perfect woman for you. That happens like usually three times in different places that I go. It's crazy. But the reason why it's dangerous is that people are biased. Biased means they are thinking about who? Themselves or the person they're recommending and not necessarily you. Does anyone watch the Discovery Channel? Anyone watch Venom ER? You know, Sean Bush is, was one of my professors at Loma Linda, and he has a short in Venom ER. In fact, I recorded a section of a Gila monster bite that actually caused a person to have a heart attack. And I remember one of his sayings being absolutely brilliant. He's a guy from Texas who's so got this accent. He says, Tim, when you're a doc, people go and tell you to do the wrong thing. But you've got to do the right thing because you're the patient advocate. But they're going to tell you to do the wrong thing. And I thought, come on, no physician's going to tell you to do the wrong thing. But then I had a little baby, 27 days old, with a fever. And what we're supposed to do as doctors is that at that young age, they can have anything. Meningitis, pneumonia, sepsis in the blood. They can be dead in hours and look fine on initial presentation. So I had my resident that was working with me, which is a physician in training, right? And he said, so what do I do? I said, well, you know what to do. He's like, you mean draw blood, give antibiotics, do a spinal tap, and admit the child? I said, absolutely. So he calls up the pediatrician to accept the patient. And the pediatrician says, oh, why don't you just do some lab tests? And if they're OK, send him home. Is that the right thing to do? No, people go and tell you to do the wrong thing. Now, why does this guy want to tell my resident to send him home over the phone? So he doesn't have to come into work. That's right. And if the patient dies, whose fault is it? He never saw the patient. Uh-oh. Right? And people do the same thing when they're recommending a spouse. It's called matchmaking roulette. <laughs> and why do they do that? Why do people recommend others that are not fit for marriage? Why do they do that? Exactly. Hebrews 12. For they, and in this passage, they is our relatives even. For they for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, who's he? God, for our prophet, that he might be partakers of his holiness. Because see, what happens, people will say, oh, we got this perfect girl for you, but it's like their niece. 
or their cousin or their daughter or granddaughter. So who are they biased towards? Them. They're not looking out for you because they don't know you, right? It's very rare for someone to know both parties well and also be objective. Because if they're related to one of the parties, who are they going to side with? <laughs> Them, of course, right? But here we're saying that God chastens and corrects us for our profit. And the Lord commanded us to do all these things, to fear the Lord our God for whose good? For our good, how often are his motives that way? Always. Now, how many friends do you have who have totally unselfish motives when they give you advice every single time? There's not a one like the lovely Jesus, except for this girl sitting up here in front. See, he just pointed her out. But I can tell you, I've had people, they're well-meaning. Now, don't get me wrong. They don't intend for it to come across this way, but they'll give you advice. I was speaking at a youth conference, a big one, and I have to not say it because you may know this person, so I have to be careful. And I was there showing a picture of my girlfriend to everyone. It was a young people's conference. There were people in their late teens, early 20s saying, oh, yeah, that's your girlfriend. Oh, she's cute, whatever. And I had the person come up to me and look over at the picture and say, no, you need to be with one of your own kind. Now, I, I, I said to her, well, oh, well, what do you mean? And, and, and I felt like saying, now, now, which kind are you talking about? Because I'm biracial. Most people don't know that. I'm half German and half Chinese, where East meets West. <laughs> so, so am I going so to date a German girl? Am I going to date a Chinese girl? No, I'm American. I'm going to date an American girl. So that's what they said. Oh, you got to date one of your own kind. And I said, oh, well, why is that? Oh, well, then you can do missionary work together. And I had a friend of mine look at my picture. It's a, it was a Caucasian girl, my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, why can't you do mission work with a, a white girl? I didn't say anything. I just tried to keep quiet and just smile. But they were well-meaning. Because, again, they have a big heart for areas in Asia. And they felt like, since I was obviously Asian, that I should want to marry someone who was of my kind and go do ministry. So they mean well, but they don't always understand, right? They were thinking of a bias because they have such a heart for the mission field. They didn't even know me, right? They didn't even know that my last name's Riesenberg because I am German, <laughs> not adopted. Really German. <laughs> we talked about people recommending their relatives to you. It can be very dangerous. Because many times, the reason they're trying to recommend this person is that person's had a hard time getting relationships in the first place. <laughs> right? It's true. You wouldn't be laughing if it wasn't true. And with that, oftentimes comes baggage. And you know what? I got enough baggage on my own. I don't need to have three or four more carry-ons. You know what I'm saying? My favorite is now I gotta pick on my Korean friends. 
because I love the Korean church. In fact, even though I'm not Korean, I've always been invited to teach Sabbath school at the churches because they look at me and they say, oh, looks like Korean. <laughs> but they say that after they find out I'm a doctor. So I think there's a little bias. Is it true, Korean friends, is it true that there's a bias towards education and money? Yeah, there is. And you got to marry a Korean. But I've seen them willing to bend that a little bit. Willing to bend. In fact, one of my well-meaning Korean mothers, she followed me in a potluck line, writing down her daughter's cell phone number and giving it to me. And I said, well, why don't I just, why don't I just talk to your daughter? I can just meet her. Oh, uh, she's, she's not here, not, not here. <laughs> oh, uh, why? Oh, she does not go to church anymore. But you can bring her. <laughs> no, God needs to bring her, right? No, I am not going to do any missionary matchmaking. I'm more than happy to come do a week of prayer, to come preach a sermon, but when it comes to the person you're dating, they got to have already decided the God issue. Does that make sense? You are not going to win them to God by dating them. You are only just going to damage your own soul and theirs too. Remember what we talked about, getting the right advisors. Advice is good, but you got to get the right ones. This is Testimonies on Sexual Behavior, page 31. And this is Ellen White speaking. She's giving counsel to a gentleman who's elderly wanting to remarry after his wife died. I know as you say that you must be lonely in your old age and sometimes even young age. And if there was one whom you could love and would reciprocate that love, I see no objection, but I do not know the lady you have in mind. And I cannot speak as could one who what? Knows both parties. Is the person giving you advice well acquainted with both of you. It's very rare. And what's even more rare is when someone's willing to admit that. Ellen White says, look, I could give you advice. I mean, why didn't Ellen White say, well, I'll just ask the Lord. No problem. She didn't say that. She said, I can't give you advice. I don't know the person. And it would be better for you to talk to who? Someone who knows both parties, right? And the problem is that counselors make mistakes. And that's why we learn in Proverbs, right? Those two passages in Proverbs, we should ask how many counselors? A multitude. Because it's unlikely that all of them are going to be wrong, right? But remember, it's got to be the right kind. Like when I get a set of counselors, I ask people who are committed Seventh-day Adventists, like me. And not just committed to the rules, but committed to winning souls for Christ. Right? That's what we're here for. You know, all the people on my counseling sort of panel, so to speak, my lifelines, you know, that I call, they're all people who have won others to Christ. Some are married, some are not. Some are old, some are young. Some are with children, some are without. But I'm going to tell you of my personal sad case. When I went to break up with one of my ex-girlfriends, I've only had two since I've been in Adventist, not a, not a lot. <laughs> I talked to my counseling friends. 
got all their opinions. Seven out of eight of them said, end it now. You've tried and tried. And how did I try? Well, I went to counseling. Let her pick the first time. Another set of counselors, I picked the second couple. And then we're working on the third. I wasn't engaged. I was just dating, trying to save the relationship. And my friend's saying, look, Tim, you've put more effort into this than most people do in their own marriage. It's enough. But one of my friends said, look, wait for the third set of counseling to finish before you break it off. And since they were the only person who said that, I let her go. But you know what? They understood me well. And they understood her well. And they understood that I'm the type of person who wants to do everything I can before letting go. Not everyone's like that. But I know that I am. And you know what I feel bad about? She's now married. She was married like eight months after we broke up. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I will never have the opportunity to say, well, what if I would have tried that third set of counselors? Does that make sense? And sometimes you leave yourself without closure. Now, thankfully, I have obvious closure now. The woman's married, you know. But still, right, you're not always going to get the right answer, even though you ask several people. Now, I'm going to give you the example of where I was the only person. This was someone near and dear to my heart. And they were headed to marry somebody that I knew it was not God's will. It was so clear. You know, there was no permission asked of the parents. The parents hadn't even seen the guy. And the problem was they went from friends to engagement in one week. Yes, yes. But you see, the problem is, is that I tried to warn and I tried to counsel, but I was the only person who said anything. And this person had church members counseling them, family members. But the thing is, is that one with God in the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy is the majority. Yeah. Remember that. It doesn't have to be a ton of people saying things, right? When you looked at the two kings of Israel, when Ahab, right, was getting ready to go to battle with Jehoshaphat, how many false prophets were there? 400. And who was the only one who said, don't go into battle? Micaiah. Do you remember? Micaiah. He was actually sarcastic, and he said, oh, just go ahead and go. And then King Ahab said, now, how many times do I have to tell you, you got to tell me the truth? There was only one, right? But he had the word of God on his side. One with God is always the majority. Again, look to the future. We talked about that with jobs, right? And I'm just going to read one passage from Ministry of Healing. Listen to this. I mean, this is all-encompassing. The choice of a life companion should be as best to secure what? Physical, whoa, mental, and spiritual well-being for who? Parents and for the children. Now, wait a minute. If you're choosing a life companion, how many children do you have with that person? None, we hope, right? If you're doing things God's way. For parents and their children and such as will enable both parents and... Children, again, to bless who? Their fellow man and honor their creator. Is that looking to the future or what? That's looking to the health of unborn children, right? And to give you an example of that, I'll talk about something called Huntington's chorea. It's a disease that's autosomal dominant. 
That means it's going to get passed on half of the time to all your kiddos. And it's guaranteed death by age 50. And it's not a, a, a quick death. It's like you start to lose function of your motor skills and you start to like twitch unresponsibly. You lose control of your bowel. It's horrible. You, you lose your mind slowly, right? Would that ensure health for the offspring? No. No. You know, Ellen White doesn't just talk about the pie in the sky in the great by and by. She talks about real issues, right? Physical health, right? Mental health, as well as spiritual health for both parties, right? For both the woman, the man, and the kids that are coming. Very important. Think about the future because the problem is, is that we're young people. We don't think down the road. We're thinking about, wow, right? <laughs> we're just looking at the now and thinking, how amazing is God's work, right? <laughs> and we're not thinking that God is looking down the road, right, to your ministry and to who else? Your kids, right? Is that important to God? Yes, so it should be important to us. And here is the main point I want to make with this seminar. There's lots of things about finding your spouse, but this is the time when you don't pray about it. Isn't that amazing? Don't pray about it. Check this out. Remember Balaam? Watch this. Patriarchs and Prophets 439. Balaam was once a good man and a prophet of God. But he had apostatized and given himself up to covetousness. Yet he still professed to be a servant of the Most High. He was not ignorant of God's work in behalf of Israel. And when the messengers announced their errand, he well knew that it was what? His duty to do what? Refuse the rewards of Balak and to dismiss his ambassadors. But he ventured to dally with temptation and urged the messengers to tarry with him that night, declaring that he could give no decided answer till he had asked who? Counsel of the Lord. Doesn't that sound conscientious? But remember, what did he already know before he went to go pray about it? He already knew his duty. Watch, it gets worse. The second time Balaam was tested, in response to the solicitations of the ambassadors, he professed great conscientiousness and integrity, assuring them that no amount of gold or silver could induce him to go contrary to the will of God. But he longed to comply with the king's request. And although the will of God had already been definitely made known to him, what did he do? Stay a little while that he might do what? Pray about it. You see where we're going here, my friends? As though the infinite one were a man to be persuaded. It gets worse. In the night season, the Lord appeared to Balaam and said, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Thus far, the Lord would now permit Balaam to follow his own will. Why? This is scary, isn't it? Because he was determined upon it. He did not seek to do the will of God, but choose what? His own course and then endeavor to secure the sanction of the Lord. Will God let you go the wrong way? Oh, yes, he will. When you pray about it. When you know already what's right and you presume to pray about it. Scary. 
Very frightening. This brings it to our day. There are thousands at the present day who are pursuing a similar course. They would have no difficulty in understanding their duty if it were in harmony with what? Their inclinations. Oh, Tim, I don't want to date an Adventist guy. They never initiate. They got so much baggage, they're never going to ask me out. I got to go to the Philistines. Oh. Tim, but the girls out there, they're just a lot better looking than the Adventist girls, right? I hear all these excuses. It is plainly set before them in the Bible, or it is clearly indicated by what? Circumstances and reason. But because these evidences are contrary to their desires and inclinations, they frequently set them aside and presume to go to God to learn their duty. With great apparent conscientiousness, they pray long and earnestly for the light. But God will not be trifled with. He often permits such persons to do what? Follow their own desires and to suffer the result. My people would not hearken to my voice, so I gave them up to what? Their own hearts, lusts, and they walked in their own counsels. When one clearly sees a duty... Don't do what? Go to God with the prayer that he may be excused from performing it. He should rather with a humble, submissive spirit ask for divine strength and wisdom to meet its claims. Amen. Now we're going to bring it down to home. Watch this. Real letters. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> this is a response to a letter I wrote to a dear friend that I went to college with, actually. Oh, thank you, dear. We need the prayers of those we love. I appreciate the Sabbath greetings. That was cool. One thing I'm curious about. I know you disagree with John and I getting married. John was not Seventh-day Adventist. She is. So what do you do if we're going to tie the knot anyway? No plans to do that. Now, just waiting on God, seeking his will, and working through some issues. However, if God gives us the go-ahead... What reaction does that elicit from you? Important to know as far as I'm concerned. Catch you later, Jenny. So what if God gives us the go-ahead? He ain't going to give you the go-ahead. Not to do what's right. He may give you the go-ahead to go ahead and suffer the consequences. Do you see where this is going? Here was my response. Dear Jenny and John, as I mentioned in my chat this morning, there's nothing you have done or ever could do that would change my heart for both of you. I believe Jeff to be a kind, patient, and committed young man, as you've described him. And of course I know you are, because we go back to college days. My opposition would never because I lack love or respect for either of you, nor do I think that Jeff is less than you as a person in my eyes or God's. Affirm, right? Affirm the love. But then you got to break it down. <laughs> I describe it this way. I have two friends. They want to get married. One of them, Mark, my chief resident from internship. Mark's an Orthodox Jew. He won't take off his yarmulke even if we're 110 degrees outside. He never will work on Sabbath even to care for patients. How do you like that? In fact, every Friday night, Jeff would unscrew. I'm sorry, not Jeff. That's Mark. Would unscrew the light bulb of his fridge so that the little light would not flick on during the Sabbath hours. Now consider Rachel, my other Jewish friend, who went to school with me. Perhaps all Rachel could tell you about her religion is they spun a dreidel around during childhood game and their menorah was lit on Sabbath and some dietary restrictions they observe. So they're both Jewish, 
right? Or they might be both Adventist. Ooh. So get married, right? <laughs> Though both friends are equal in God's eyes, and I love and respect them both to pieces, I would never advise them to get married, even though they were the same religion. You can be unequally yoked with the same religion, folks. Do you see this example? Very clear. It's actually two real people that I know, too. They are, not all, they are not together in the most intimate aspect of life, how you serve God. Nor would it be fair of Mark to pressure Rachel to, quote, come into line. Neither kind of her to coerce Mark to loosen up. How we worship God according to our individual consciences is a right so sacred that our forefathers in America were willing to die for it. And all of us should be free to worship as we choose. Having a spouse that is on the other page, even in the same religion, creates a conflict of interest. Perhaps one or the other will concede to certain beliefs in an attempt to win the other over or make peace in the home. But doing the right thing for the wrong reason is still wrong. How you worship God is the decision left only to you and the Holy Spirit. And so should it always be. Yet this freedom is not real unless we are free to choose against God or do something that hurts him. If we were only ever free to do the, quote, right things, it would not be true liberty. And so that brings me to how I'd feel if you got married. Though it would not be with my blessing or my presence. Ooh. 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 Remember, though, if you were a pastor 20 years ago, you couldn't even marry people that were Adventists and one non-Adventist. Remember that? So I'm not saying anything surprising here, folks. It would always be with my love and prayers for both of you. This is simply because I want all true friend, what all true friends want when those around them get married, their happiness. I have learned that true happiness can never be found outside the path of him who knows what is best and plans for the good of his creatures. My love for both of you always, Tim. This is a real letter I wrote two weeks ago to a friend. Now you're saying, Tim, where's all the Bible and spirit of prophecy? It's all in there. It's just not quoted. That's what you got to do with some people, right? Because she finished telling me all I hear is people beating me over the head with Ellen White. Folks, you can't do that either. You got to love the person, but you got to love them like Jesus loves them. He loves us by telling us the truth that he loves us so much. He's not going to play a game with us, right? But where that quote is, is right here. Here's the inspiration. Five Testimonies 364. Though the companion of the choice were in all other respects. What? So this is the perfect man or the perfect woman. Except he has not accepted what? The truth, but not any truth. We're talking present truth. You hear what she's saying? The truth for when? For Abraham's day? For Enoch? For the New Testament. For when? This time. And what were those truths, my friends? The Sabbath. The sanctuary. The state of the dead, right? He has not accepted the truths for this time. Semicolon. He is what? Oh, an unbeliever. And you are forbidden of heaven to unite yourself with him. You cannot, without peril to your soul, disregard this divine injunction. I don't think it's any clearer than that. There's lots of other quotes that talk about it, but this one really breaks it down. If someone has not embraced the truths for this time, they are what? An unbeliever. Oh, painful, right? 
Would you say that to your Christian friends? Kind of harsh, isn't it? Well, next letter. Hmm. I shared this quote with a friend of mine who was dating someone who was not an Adventist. And this was the letter I got back. What kind of authority do you have to do this? I'll be just totally upfront and honest with you, Tim. You seem entirely too confident for my lighting. It's quite off-putting. Oh. I'm usually not near this direct with people, but I feel I need to be like this in this case. And I know you can take it. I don't, how does she know I can take it? I greatly respect your sincerity and desire to follow God wholeheartedly and your mission-mindedness. Oh, thank you. But I don't always appreciate your apparent attitude of always thinking you're right and that everything is black and white. I didn't say that. Although sometimes it is. Now, I really don't want to make excuses for anything or blow off your concern. So I'm really praying. What? Praying. We're praying about it a lot. Perhaps you're right. I'll see how what? God leads and how he impresses me. Friends, God is not going to impress you contrary to his word. Amen. Period. Period. The only time you're going to get the green light is when God says, okay, you really want it. Go for it. You'll see that it's going to be empty and broken. I haven't, hope I haven't been too offensive for you. If so, I apologize. But I really needed to express all this to you. I pray that God leads as well. God bless, Maria. Now, check this out. This is a week later. Anyway, I just want to let you know I'm not angry with you. But the last thing I heard was that email. I do greatly appreciate your concern, and I'm taking it quite seriously. I do feel convicted that God is telling me to take some kind of action, I think, but I am praying about what and when and how. I've been corresponding with some wonderful godly missionary friends in Africa who used to go to my church, and they have been praying and searching on my behalf and have sent me a heartfelt reply, which I'm chewing on. I'm certainly not wanting to rely on human opinions and wisdom since, quote, the Lord will teach us his duty just as willingly as he will teach somebody else. If we come to him in faith, he will speak his mysteries to us personally. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that displeases God will know after presenting their case before him just what course to pursue. And they will receive not only wisdom, but strength. Power for obedience, for service will be imparted to them as Christ promised. Desire of Ages 718. But I'm still really scared. They're softening up. Do you see it? Since it's hard for me to believe and understand that someone so sincere and searching and loving can be called an unbeliever. They're struggling, struggling with a quote, and could lead me astray. And since I've never been happier with anyone else in my entire life, but I've been telling God all along that I don't want to idolize anyone and get so attracted to anyone that I would not be willing to follow him. I desperately want to do the right thing and please God. I've been praying like crazy, right? This whole time that we've been dating and seeking his guidance, if this isn't his will, he makes it clear that he wants me to end this relationship. I will be heartbroken and in extreme pain, but I will do it. I've done it so many times before. I know what kind of pain that will bring, and I'm afraid that this time it will be more painful than anything I've ever experienced. I'm so tired of change and instability in my life and loneliness. But whatever God requires, I want to do. I just Now, this is two months later. Watch this. I just thought you'd be interested to know that Larry and I broke up ever since you called first, first letter three months ago. I did feel convicted that our relationship wasn't right and that God showed me through several ways that he was leading in this way. It's purely for spiritual reasons since in every other way we were very, very, very happy. 
So this has been very painful, but I must follow God's leading. Woohoo! For to trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, as the hymn says. So I choose to trust God that He has everything in control and has my best in mind. I have many other uncertainties in my life right now, but I'm not too worried about it. God has always led in the past, and He will continue to provide for me, I know. I just wanted to apologize for being frustrated with you when you called back in June. I was caught off guard by how bold you came across, but I can see that God was using you to speak to me. I had been praying for God's guidance, so that's how he probably got my attention at that time. I do appreciate your friendly concern, so thanks very much for caring enough to speak up. So happy ending. But there's more. And the reason why I share this is this young person is probably one of the most committed people you'll ever know. They have done missionary work, right? They mentioned the friends in Africa and stuff like that. They are very founded. I mean, they're quoting the Bible, spirit of prophecy, hymns. They're solid. But I can tell you, six months later, they got back together with Larry. Yes, they did. And um, a few months later, they were engaged. And then... A little bit before the wedding, he was baptized. Well, I mean, it's good, right? And that was a question. What was the question? For what reason? You'll never know. You'll never truly know. You're going to have to assume that someone's sincere until proven otherwise. But how will you know? Right? They're married now. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong. Technically, he did become an Adventist, right? But consider this. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Paul tells us, follow what? My example. Do you realize people are going to watch what you do? And what are they going to do? Exactly. Now check this out. When you have your own kids and they're dating someone not in the church, what are they going to say to you? Oh, but you and mom get that. And dad came along. And what are you going to say? You aren't going to have anything to say because you are dead in the water. Because they're not going to listen to what you say, but what you do. The only quote that I'll take from Shaquille O'Neal, never what they say, only what they do. So the implications for that is that you now have nothing to say when your children go down the same road. And believe you me, I don't want that. And the reason why I share this is because, I'll close with this quote, we're all here because we love Jesus, right? Amen. Amen. That's why we decided to come to a Christian college, I assume, right? Oakwood, Southern. But listen to this, professed Christians whose lives are marked with what? Integrity and who seem sensible on every other subject make fearful mistakes here and we're talking about relationships they set manifest they manifest a set determined will that reason what cannot change they become so fascinated with human feelings and impulses that they have no desire to search the bible and come into close relationship with god there are many other things about finding the route spouse but the thing i would leave to you is that this is our achilles heel as young people, do you realize it? We can be solid on every other, every other area, right? Integrity. 
But this is the chink in the armor where Satan is going to aim his sword, his spear. And for most of us, we will be defeated. But by God's grace, we don't have to be, right? When you see something that's clear, just do it. By God's grace, don't pray about it. Don't ask somebody about it. If God's already told you, right? And you know what? I commit my life right now. You may say, oh, there's no Adventist guys. There's no Adventist girls. They're all not committed or they're out of the church or whatever. But you know what? And then I'll be single. Because I'll at least have the smile of Jesus, my Savior, who was single, right? His entire life. But you know, I, I realize he doesn't want most of us to be. He wants us to be happy by making the right decision for him. Not just in other areas, but in this one too. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that though we have made mistakes like I have, like my friends have, that there is mercy, Lord, that you are still pleading in the sanctuary above. Lord, let us listen to what you say and by your grace do it. Let us not try to pray our way out of it or ask advice our way out of it or excuse ourselves, Lord, but let us come into line with your will and your plan for our happiness and joy with the woman or man of our dreams. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.